morning. It's 970 WAMD Aberdeen and this is the Harford Edge, keeping you on the cutting edge of what's new in Harford County and beyond. I'm co-host Leslie Greenlee-Smith from the Harford County Public Library and I'm here with Bob Mumby. The Harford Edge is brought to you each week by your Harford County Public Library. Today we'll be speaking with David Reichenbaugh, author of In Pursuit, The Hunt for the Beltway Snipers. I remember that time. Yes. Good morning, Mr. Yeah. Mumby. Good morning. How are you? <laughs> I don't know. I just realized I messed up our radio schedule. <laughs> I did not. It's and naturally, been... <laughs> it was it was the day when there's like four guests. <laughs> so Sorry, guys. My apologies. We'll get it straightened out. Don't you worry. And we'll yes, we will. The show will go on. It always does. It must. So my two, two two annoyances, and then I want to talk about something. I have a a cheer, not an annoyance. Okay. As you know, I'm the positive to your. Well, my annoyance first is me for not reading all my emails or <laughs> somehow not checking sp spam or whatever. Secondly, I'm in line at my Dunkin' Donuts this morning. There's only one person behind me. And there's like four cars in front of me. The cars move up. And I decide, well, why put any further wear on my brakes? I'm going to wait. <laughs> God pulls up behind me. Woman, you know. And she beeps at me because there's like four feet between me and the car in front of me. She's bossing you. So I wave to her to annoy her. Like, oh, you must know me because you beeped at me. So I right, wave back. Right. Hi. All uh, fingers high. She beeps again. I give her the thumbs up. <laughs> She was so furious. It was so satisfying. I am sorry. Apologies, right? Now I have something I want your opinion on. Okay. You've heard about this movie coming out yes. this weekend, The Joker. Yes. Now, there's not even Batman in it. It's just The Joker. And it's um, mm. it's um, Joaquin Phoenix, who was an amazing actor. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And it's this, this Joker who is basically... A loser. An and outcast. An yes. outcast. He's put upon and beat up by people. And everyone who in the movie has money is portrayed, from what I understand, as evil. Okay. Annoying and just perfect targets for his wrath. And a lot of people are concerned that it will cause, it will inspire, especially since this Colorado yep. shooter. Yep was dressed as the Joker, and Joker is a lot of folks identify as the Joker who manifests his frustration with society in violence toward others. But we also have, we can't inhibit free speech or free expression. What do right. you think? I wish the movie was not made because of all those things you just said. Because I feel like... I go back and forth because I feel like people with money are not evil. I see firsthand at the library and the work we do here on the show, the great generosity of the community here in Hartford County, both businesses and personal. So I, I maybe have a different view because I see the good that the money does. I don't see the evil. And I just think with where we are in our society right now, we don't need a movie like that. And I've heard Joaquin Phoenix do some interviews trying to justify it. And I know it is freedom of speech. I just don't think we need it. Yeah. What do you uh, think? Well, I think I don't think we need it either. But at the same time, at what point do, do we have to review all scripts now? Mm -hmm. What I'm most more concerned about is our discourse. And I know I'm probably a minority. I think that the violent discourse is coming mostly from Trump haters now. I know there's a few lunatic, bigot, awful people, but I hear people calling me a white supremacist because I won't condemn Trump and calling me a, a misogynist because I won't condemn everything about Trump, calling me a xenophobe, call me a bigot. I am not. I would but, say you're not. Well, and the thing is, well, thank you, but... Mm -hmm. I am being reduced to an identity by folks, and um, people are laugh. People laugh at me like, "Oh, how stupid can you be? Or how naive can you be? How much of a tool can you be?" And I think people 
And it's done on both sides. Absolutely. That's but, what I was just going to say. But people are objectified now. There's, mm -hmm. They have no personality. They have no individuality. They're just an enemy. And the stakes have gotten so high. And I don't know how we get back. I don't know how we get back to it either. But I think on both sides, we need to really try. We need to really try. Choose civility. Choose civility. And the thing is, it feels like due process no longer matters to anyone. God knows the crimes that have been committed against people of color for so long, Emmett Till, where uh, due process doesn't matter. Like, just Kill a Mockingbird was on the other day, and I mm -hmm. watched it. Tom Robinson. But now it seems like in the in the interest of whatever people feel the, the, the new goal is, due process also can be sacrificed at that altar. And I think once we get to that point... I, I don't know how we come back. So I don't either, but I hope somebody out there smarter than us is thinking about it and is going to help us Amen. figure it out. Amen. Okay, well, let's kick butt on some trivia in honor of that. Yeah, and I want to do a little shout-out this morning. I've never done this before, Good. but my nieces and two nieces and brother and sister-in-law are on their way from Boston to our house and I just talked to them and they're listening to the show so I want to say hi to Reagan and Claire and Alex and Jen. Welcome back to Maryland. They were sitting in a tunnel in Manhattan when I talked to them. So so uh, text Leslie and say is it the Lincoln or the Holland <laughs> or the Midtown Tunnel? Where are they coming from? Boston? Boston. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yep. They got up at the crack of dawn, and we're hoping to be through the city before all this happened, but... No. <laughs> I, they know, 9, yeah. 16 a.m. So, but I'm wondering from Boston, I'm seeing you came down... I don't know. Why don't you text Leslie? I'm curious how you're ending up in a tunnel. That could be the whole problem. <laughs> yeah, really. Hey, the light just came on in here. There we go. Maybe let there be light. Maybe there is someone out there just thought of a solution for our civil discourse. Yes. Okay. So you ready for some trivia? Sure. All right. Let's go. All right. This is a sports one, Bob. Okay. A.J. Foyt was the first race car driver to win what race four times? Indy 500. Good job. I don't know why I know that. I don't even like auto races. <laughs> I didn't think you did. All right. It was either that or the Daytona. <laughs> Daytona. And he was an open-wheel driver. So I See, I you do, do know. know. Telling you, Jeopardy. Osmosis. MRI is the acronym used for what medical imaging technique? Um, magnetic resonance, resonance, resonance. Yes. Imaging. Correct. Now, how do you Can, know that? Why do you know that? Because I had one. Oh, I've had I, one too, I had but a, I didn't look up to see what it. I mean, I didn't remember what it. Stood I had for. a CAT scan and an MRI because I had a football injury on my cossacks, but that caused a shockwave to travel up my spine and contude my brainstem. Wow. Yeah, I got... Knocked. High school? Yep. Did you stop playing after that? Did no, your well, mother no, it yank was, it you was a, out? It was a temporary thing. It was just I caught a pass, fell backwards. 30 seconds later, I started walking diagonal. Really? And I had no feeling in my left side of my face, my hands, my arms, my body, my feet. And I had an MRI and a CAT scan, which is computerized axial tomography. Wow. So you were like this even in high school. <laughs> it explains well, a lot. I asked the doctors a lot of questions. Oh, I'm I was, sure. I was totally awake. Uh, right. I just had no feeling in half of my body. And it came back, obviously. My sister, uh, it's funny, I, I asked her for some, something, a cold drink. She gave me a can of... That's T-I-S-T, and I took it in my left hand. I said, no, I want it cold. And she said, it's freezing cold. And I put it in my right hand, it's freezing cold. My left hand, it was room temperature. Really? That would freak me out. Well, it freaked my mother out. <laughs> <laughs> See, I would have yanked you out of football. But, but they no, didn't no, do it, that it, back then. I could, it could have happened anywhere. It could have, I just fell backwards. All right. Um, but then um, I got nauseous. They gave me a shot for it. I... Got all hot all over, and then everything came back. And they determined after the fact uh, that it was a contusion in my brainstem caused by a shock wave that traveled up my spine from my cossacks when I fell on it. 
Wow. And you remember it. I remember it. They, they were said, Mumby, you're walking like a crab. <laughs> this was when I hadn't even moved to Maryland yet. <laughs> oh, my gosh. So All that's right. how I know what an MRI is. All right. Is. Well, back to question only number three. A little less than half the size of Great Britain, what is Europe's second largest island? Europe's second largest island. Wow. Well, it's got to be one of the three in the Mediterranean. Because um, Iceland isn't that big. Ah, isn't it? Uh, Greenland? Oh, Iceland? Yes. <laughs> I was trying to catch oh, you your gave eye. Me no help there. <laughs> Oh, well, I can see it? we've already wasted 10 minutes talking about MRIs. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. It's a light news day. It is a light news day. All right, you'll get this one. I, whenever I say that, you cringe, I know. Soldier Field is an American football stadium that is home to which NFL team? The Bears. The Bears. See, I told you you would know. And you'll actually, know this one, too. I was on the field at Soldier Field. Why Soldier for? Field. I was a videographer for a drum and bugle corps when I was 13. Long story. We're walking down memory lane this morning. <laughs> Your hype Bob Mumby's high school years. <laughs> oh. All right. Who was the guitarist for the British rock band Cream? Eric Clapton. Wow. You're nailing it. Jack Bruce and Ginger Baker were the other two <laughs> members. I love how you always add to. The Cream. The Cream. What HBO series shared its title with its narrator's dating column in the fictional New York Star? Oh, uh, come on. Sex in the City? Yes. Did you watch that? No. Oh, it was awesome. I cannot stomach that. That. You don't like Sarah Jessica Barker? Cannot stomach that. Oh, cannot she. Cannot look at her. Really? No. Bob Mumby. She is a huge lover of the library and okay. reading. Okay, well, then if she writes something, I'll read it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. What are the only two letters of the alphabet that Z do not y. appear wrong on the periodic table? This was interesting for me. That, that do not appear. That do not appear on the periodic table. The only two letters. Um, D. No. I'm shaking my head no. Oh, W. No. Jeesh. Jeesh. I have no idea. I know K. Uh, L. Mm-mm. Okay. Do you want me to? Yeah, t let's J and Q. J and Q. Mm-hmm. I guess quartz isn't an element. J. Hmm. You can dazzle people at the holiday parties with that one. <laughs> All right, what wow. American singer-songwriter and poet was also known as the Lizard King? Um, Jim Morrison. Correct. Jim Morrison from the Doors. A lot of people say he's still alive. Really? Yeah. Is it he one of those urban legends? He was 27 factor. He died when he was 27. Oh, that's right. Jimi Hendrix, uh -huh. Janis Joplin, uh, Amy... Winehouse. Winehouse, yep. All when they were 27. Wow. And their heavy habits yes. contributed. I don't think it was just that they yes. were 27. All right. The Importance of Being Earnest is a play written by which Irish poet and playwright? Oscar Wilde. Correct. Pub, Oscar you're Wilde. nailing it this week. A, a, a witty, witty person. This is our last one. Okay. He also wrote Picture of Dorian Gray, which was excellent. I love that movie. <laughs> I didn't read the book, but I love the movie. It was a good movie. Very clever. Just very clever. American film director and actor Shelton Jackson Lee is better known by what name? Spike. Spike Lee. Bum, bum, bum. Bravo. Okay. Good job. That was a lot of pop culture. So when we have that was. Sarah Klein on, that's she right. said she wants all pop culture. Oh, TV. that's all we do, Sarah. We'll give you some pop culture. Well, let's stay on pop culture since this is a we need. This is a lighthearted show today. Yes. For the beginning. <laughs> I went to do today in history. 
Yes. Because it's light news. We're going to do some Today in History. <clears throat> and I looked up today's birthdays. I've never heard most of these people. I'm going to give you these names. All right. And you tell me who the heck they are. Oh, come on now. One I, we know, and she's a phenomenal actress, Kate Winslet. Yes. Aaron Carpenter. Don't try to wing it. I'm not winging it. I don't know. Jacob Tremblay. Don't know. Mahogany Locks. Don't know. Claire Crosby. Don't know. Dalila Bella. Don't know. Sounds Stacey like a country Ketchman. singer. Sounds like a country singer, but don't know. I can't Google them fast enough. Jesse so. Iron Eisenberg. Jesse Eisenberg is an actor. Correct. He was in um, social media. The, yeah, the Facebook. Ray Kroc, we know who he is. Gerardo Ortiz, Millie Ennis, Imran Khan. Are we old, Bob? Is that what you're saying? Well, um... Like, when were they born? I don't know, but I've Andrew Fontenot is a rapper. Lulu Wilson is a movie actress. Now, what is a, a TikTok star? TikTok is, and it's like a Snapchat. It's a... It's an app. Okay. YouTube... Oh, YouTube star. Num Nexus. <laughs> Great name. Don't know him. Dan LeBillick, YouTube star. <laughs> Nikki Hilton, is that um, yeah. the other Paris Hilton's sister? Yeah. Harley Brash is a reality star. Oh, no wonder. Okay. You need to go a little bit further back in history. We would know them. <laughs> Boy, did I feel out of touch. I know. Now I feel old, and I was feeling pretty energetic today. Okay, if anyone tells you something happened on October 10th, 1582, they're lying. Why? Because when we converted from the Julian calendar to the Gregorian calendar, we had to sync up the two calendars, so we lost. 10 days were skipped. So oh. October, today, October 4th, was the last Julian calendar day. The next day is October 15th. Really? Yep. That's interesting. And we also added two months. We will sure. gone over that Yes, we have. Julius Caesar. Julius and Augustus Caesar. And Augustus, July and yep. August. Isn't that interesting? That is interesting. 1883. Famous train service. Starting in, from Paris, going to Munich, Vienna, Bucharest, and ending up in um, Istanbul. What was the name of that train? The Orient Express. First one ran in 1883. That's on my bucket list. Okay. Orient is, means east. Okay. And uh, that's what to orientate means, to face east where the sun rises. May West is premiered on Broadway in 1918. Leave it to Beaver debuted on CBS in 1957. How long did that run, does it say? No, I but it. I'm going to say six. Yeah. Six years. Through the 50s, early 60s, and then they were like, this is not relevant anymore. <laughs> no, indeed. And speaking of not relevant, 1990, the U.S. premiere of Beverly Hills 90210. Did yeah. you watch that? I did not watch that. But I did watch the, the new series that's just on now, 90210. I watched the first episode. It was okay. 2006. Can you believe it's been 13 years since Wow. I know. Between that and the uh, birthdays, Bob. And the Beltway Sniper, which was 17 years oh, ago. Oh, that is insane. Okay. All right. Uh, we're going to, since we've been, let's do something useful. Uh, some news. Get your flu vaccine now. Don't put it off. Get it. There's, I know, why do some people, are they against vaccines? Like I Jenny McCarthy? Know. I don't know. Okay, get it. Because they're allowed to be, I guess. Okay, you can get it at your <coughs> pharmacy. You can uh, get it at MedStar. You can get it at your doctor's office. You can call the county and see uh, when it, uh, how it's available through the, the health department. Do not put it off. Late September, early October is the time to get it. I am already scheduled for mine. I have my doctor next week, so I'll get it then. Good. Okay, secondly, the sheriff uh, has written an opinion piece about it being unethical to use county assets at political fundraisers. 
this refers to a council person who had uh, the Hope Van, ordered the Hope Van for a political mm -hmm. fundraising event, and it turned into quite the battle. Mm -hmm. uh, what do you think? I think as in most situations, communication was, I don't think it should be used for a political fundraiser just off the bat, and I don't think it will happen again. Right. But it has grown into this huge thing. Yeah. And frankly, if someone says, okay, I want to, I'm going to have a political fundraiser, there's going to be 300 people there. I'd mm -hmm. like to have this van there. And I'll pay for it. And I'll pay for it. Mm -hmm. That's fine. Mm -hmm. Or maybe if it's something that is decided, if anyone has it. Mm -hmm. um, anyway. Yeah, we've had it at the library when we had uh, Kate Messner. Kate, yes. Remember her? The seventh wish. wish. Yep. Yep. Well, I still can't believe people... Some jurisdictions told her she can't talk to middle schoolers about that book. I know. I know. I think about that, too. And this is in the very satisfying category. Uh, according to the sheriff's office, uh, uh, a $96,000 payment of restitution was made by pawn shop owners to Home Depot for goods stole, stolen from Home Depot and fenced through the pawn shop. Oh, my gosh. Dimitri Babich, David Gutman, Marina Gelfin, owners of this pawn shop, they basically knew. I was going to say, did they know? A bunch of power tools and unopened boxes. Come strolling through your door. Yeah. yeah then you know. Plus, they're going to be um, sentenced. A woman hit her boyfriend the other night. They had a fight, an argument. At 1 a.m., she ran him over. Oh, my gosh. That's not good. Okay. That is not good. Okay, well, right. why don't we... You want to take a little break? And then when we come back, we'll be talking with David Reichenball, author of In Pursuit, The Hunt for the Beltway Snipers. Hartford County Public Library will host Dr. Mona Hanna Atisha, the 2019 One Maryland, One Book author of What the Eyes Don't See, a story of crisis, resistance, and hope in an American city. On Tuesday, November the 5th at 7 p.m. at the Abington Library, the discussion will focus on Hanna Atisha's book, which chronicles her relentless pursuit to uncover the contamination of Flint Michigan's drinking water, which would lead to her testifying in front of Congress. Her personal account reads like a scientific thriller as she vividly recounts the effects lead poisoning had on her young patients and the evidence she gathered to share with the world. This event is free and open to the public. Advanced registration at hcplonline.org is suggested. In addition, 17 book discussion programs will be held at libraries and other locations throughout Harford County through Wednesday, November the 13th. For times and locations, visit hcplonline.org or pick up a copy of Headlines and Happenings at any Harford County Public Library. One Maryland, One Book is a program of Maryland Humanities and is offered in Harford County by Harford County Public Library in partnership with Harford Community College Library. Have a small project at home that you've been putting off? Need some help but don't need a large contractor? For more than seven years, D.R. Curry Contracting, Inc. in Aberdeen has been offering residential and light commercial renovations, remodeling, and maintenance to clients in the Harford County area. Their professional and efficient staff work on installations of windows, doors, siding, kitchen and bath remodels, and more. Customer service and satisfaction is of paramount importance in D.R. Curry Contracting, Inc.'s continued success, no matter the budget. It's time to get that project done. Call 410-272-8779. That's 410-272-8779. Let D.R. Curry, Inc. make your dream renovation become a reality. Welcome back. I'm co-host Leslie Greenlee-Smith with the Hartford County Public Library, and I'm here with Bob Mumby, and this is the Hartford Edge. We're delighted today to have David Reichenball, author of In Pursuit, The Hunt for the Beltway Snipers, on the line with us. David Reichenbaugh is a high-energy, take-charge, class-A personality that has always worked hard and played hard. David's passion for law enforcement started at a very early age. He holds a Bachelor of Arts degree from University of Pennsylvania. David retired after 23 years service with the Maryland State Police as a lieutenant and barrack commander in Cumberland, Maryland. David's career started as a road trooper and continued on as a criminal investigator, undercover narcotics investigator, major violator super 
supervisor, homicide and high-profile case investigator. Post 9-11, he served as operations commander for the Criminal Intelligence Division. His first book, In Pursuit, The Hunt for the Beltway Snipers, was published by Four Edge Books and released in October 2nd of 2018. He also contributes to the Homeland Security Today with law enforcement articles and insights. He writes from his home in Keatesville, Maryland, with his wife and surrounded by his eight grandchildren. Welcome, David, and thanks so much for coming on the show today. Oh, absolutely. I'm glad to be here. Surrounded, I guess sometimes you do feel like you're surrounded by your eight <laughs> grandchildren. Well, hey, they, they they keep me busy. I mean, I be, between work and uh ball games that I have to go to, I'm able to pencil you guys in. Thank you. I remember we spoke, I think, on Monday, and you had a busy weekend. Birthday parties and, and uh, yes. ball games. So Yes, we had a, we had a one-year birthday party for um, my youngest grandson, Benjamin, and we, we had ball little league games, and, you know, Wyatt got six hits. So oh, he wow. Had a, he had a great day, and, of course, it cost me money at the ice cream shop. <laughs> And I read somewhere that every grandchild adds about 1,500 miles a year to grandpa's car mileage. <laughs> yes. And, and I'll tell you what, I love every second of it because Amen. during my state police career, unfortunately, I missed a lot of those moments with my own kids and trying to make up for it as best I can. Amen. On that note, let's talk first about uh, you and thank you for your service. Absolutely. Um, especially the sacrifices uh, that all don't get noticed by others that that have to be made not only putting on the gear every day and standing between us and the bad guys but having to be so dedicated to being on the job that you don't do sacrifice some time with family so thank you again for that well very much so i mean i mean it's a i hate to say it but it's very much a family business whether your family wants to be in the business or not but uh i've i've been blessed with a wife that understands being the wife of a state trooper and kids that sort of thought it was pretty neat, I guess. Well, knowing uh, several retired state troopers in Maryland and in New Jersey, where I'm from, and being the best friend of a policeman that died in 911, I, I just wish that everyone knew what it meant for for you folks to do what you do. It's just it's a sacrifice and a dedication and a service to your fellow man and woman that really a, can, a price cannot be put on. So important to say that how'd you get to be there how'd you get to be a, a policeman it started at a very early age for me growing up on a very rural farm in in western pennsylvania i was fortunate enough that i got to walk to school and as my oldest tell me yeah yeah dad it was uphill in the snow both ways <laughs> right. uh, he knows the story <laughs> yeah yeah i was i was i guess maybe in third grade and and the Pennsylvania state police uh came to the school to teach us how to uh jump out of the back of the bus in the case there was an emergency and and this Pennsylvania state trooper showed up and i mean they they had the breeches then the boots that came above their knees that mm -hmm. that big smoky bear hat with the chin strap and a gun that looked like a cannon. And he was all shiny and, and perfect. And I remember going home and telling mom that I wanted to be a Pennsylvania state trooper. And as far as I know, the only thing I ever wanted to do if it wasn't playing baseball was to be a state trooper. And I wound up coming to Maryland and calling it home. Well, you're being modest because I read somewhere that you pretty near aced the PA trooper test. Well, yes. <laughs> yes, I did. <laughs> That was a uh, different time, but at that time, the Pennsylvania State Police were not able to hire me for a whole bunch of reasons that I had absolutely nothing to do with other than the, the, the times, I guess it was. And, and the superintendent up there told me that he would have loved to have put me in the, the next uh, academy class, but he couldn't. But he knew of a pretty good outfit that was looking for uh, young people like me, and that was the Maryland State Police. He picked up the phone and... Off to Maryland, I, I I came and took the physical, took their exam, and here I am. And uh, again, during our homework, uh, we found out that the Pennsylvania's loss was the Frederick softball team's game, eventually. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, now now we got to be careful because we're we're talking to some of our, you know, some of my old uh, competition up your way because there was a lot of uh, battles between Frederick Barrick and uh, Bel Air. Oh, and wow. northeast during those those times and and in in fact we 
those uh, annual state police softball tournaments. It wasn't a good tournament unless at least one trooper got flown to shock trauma on the helicopter. <laughs> oh, my word. Yeah, I wouldn't, wouldn't want to be a catcher or a shortstop, guarding home yeah. or second. <laughs> well, we, we, we did battle with each other on the field, but by God, we loved each other and, and family. And uh, that was one of the things that I was blessed with in the Maryland State Police because I from the moment I walked into the training academy and, and learned that toothbrushes were not just for your teeth, but for the little treads on the on the steps. Oh wow! Uh, to polish, I was family, and that's the way I've been treated, and and certainly uh, that's the way I tried to treat every one of the troopers that served under my command. Was hey, they they were family. Well, our sheriff was a state trooper, as you know, for, for many years. As a matter of fact, he just made a collar on a, a chase apprehension about six months ago, and everyone joked with him. He goes, naturally, the state trooper in him came out. Right. He had to be the one to make the collar. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's Sheriff Gaylor, correct? Correct. correct. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, during the sniper case, I had actually moved into his office about three weeks before that. He was also a lieutenant in in criminal intel when I was there. Uh, he had the logistical side, and I had the operations side. And he got, uh, he got, was promoted, and of course, he's gone on to much bigger and better things. And I wound up moving into his office, and then the sniper case happened. But I, I'll tell you what, you, you, you do have a great sheriff up there. He's a great man, and, yes. and you know, I consider him a brother. I always, I always will. He's the kind of guy, he's going to do a great job wherever wherever he happens to be and you folks are truly blessed uh we are mm -hmm. we are he's a man of conviction he's, he is he's delivered on everything he said he was gonna and he was and he's run the department exactly the way he said he was gonna run it so we are very fortunate so yeah without a doubt if, if if jeff gaylor told you he was going to be someplace at uh 4 p.m he was there at uh, 345 and ready to go Amen. and and that, you know, if he told you something, you could count on it. And and I'm sure that has not changed one little bit. It has not. So let's start in pursuit the hunt for the Beltway snipers. How do how do we how do we uh, folks get a copy? It's in some some of the bookstores. It's it's been out now for on the second a year. So you can find it in bookstores, but you can also certainly find it online at Amazon, Indiebound. And I happen to know a great little bookstore there in your neck of the woods that carries it, Capriccios, and uh, I'm probably butchering their name, no, something terrible. I, I did a book event up there a few months back and just had an absolutely great time. And I will also uh, be at a library event uh, coming up, I think, the end of the month on the 26th. The 26th and I yeah. will have plenty of books with me at that event, and it would be an honor for me to, uh, to, to sign one for you and personalize it. So there are several ways to get the book. So it's out there. So, and that's Saturday, October 26th from 11 a.m. till noon at the Bel Air Library. Yep. It's a, a yep. the author event, and we're looking forward to that. And to take us into uh, the subject matter of this, tell us how, how you first became, how you ended up in a position you were in to be involved in this, because it's, it's, it's such an interesting set of uh, circumstances with these multi-jurisdictional uh, investigations where it's something that starts to build and when people start to realize there may be a pattern and just really fascinating but give us just give us how you ended up sure. in this investigation and how it first came to you and your colleagues about oh wait a minute sure my my entire career um they, they always called me at frederick uh, trooper black cloud and and then some of the guys that worked for me started calling me Sergeant Fury when I was a sergeant because I happened to always fall into stuff. But um, my a lot of my career, 14 years of it, was undercover narcotics work and covert investigations. Then along comes September 11th. And by that afternoon, you know, after the, the Pentagon was hit and the towers, of course, and, and the, the plane went down in Pennsylvania, it didn't take long to learn that a couple of these these terrorists had some Maryland connections down around Laurel. And, of course, that was shocking to, to all of us, uh, just the events in and of itself. But then to learn that, hey, some of this plot may have been hatched right under the noses of the Maryland State Police, that's just not something that, that we're going to settle for. Uh, the governor 
and the superintendent, Colonel Mitchell, insisted that we get boots on the ground immediately. Getting back to the old-fashioned criminal intelligence investigation. So they looked around. I happened to be a, a, a lieutenant. They looked around at all us old narcs, and they thought, well, hey, here's a guy who had a very successful career. Maybe he can uh, help us get uh, boots on the ground. So there was a few of us that were brought in, and our role was basically teach young troopers how to do some undercover work. Let's let's start infiltrating various groups, and let's get our ears to the ground, so to speak, so that not another terrorist attack doesn't generate here in Maryland. And of course, when we started looking around, you, you realize all the extremely high risk and high potential targets there are in Maryland. It's, it's shocking. And you can go county by county and by county. And it's obvious when you start thinking about it. And then, of course, we spent the next year get, getting things up and running. We have the anthrax case that, that generated out of Frederick County, Fort Detrick. We had that. We're all waiting for sort of the next shoe to drop. And along comes the uh, sniper case in Montgomery County. And, of course, the first thought was this has to be some kind of a terrorist attack. Mm-hmm. A, a year after 9-11, that went right to the top of the list as far as possibilities were concerned. And one of the things, and, and one of the things I believe that made us successful in tracking the snipers down was the fact that after 9-11, law enforcement sort of, we sort of took a deep soul-searching look at ourselves, and we realized, you know what? Yeah, I'm Maryland State Police. We think we're the greatest agency in the world. Of course, every sheriff's department does, every federal agency does, but it came very obvious that, you know what? We need all of us pulling together. We need to all be singing off the same sheet of music because none of us can do this alone. Meetings started to occur between all the agencies, and of course, as a state agency, we were sort of tasked with trying to help pull everybody together, and very strong relationships were formed. It, it's there, There's a big difference when you're talking to somebody on the phone versus breaking bread with somebody, sitting down and talking about, hey, this is what we've got, what do you have, you get to know these people, you understand they're as dedicated as you are. And that communication becomes much smoother and, and things flow, information flows better. So when the, the sniper case occurred, it's, it started on the second in the evening and then a, a flurry of shootings on the third. Montgomery County realized very quickly, well, number one, they've got homicides happening all over their county. They don't know what's going on. Is this terrorism? Their, their resources are getting stretched very, very thin. Their first call was to, to the Rockville Barrack, Maryland State Police, and, and another one of your local guys, uh, Jim Ballard, Major Ballard, mm-hmm. happened to be the regional commander down there at the time. And he called me, and, of course, we get the uh, state police ball rolling because uh, if there's one thing the state police can do is we can get a large number of troopers into any part of the state within an hour or two. So the only thing we could do at that point was flood Montgomery County with as many troopers as we could spring loose from all around the state. And I grabbed a couple of our analysts and I headed for uh, Rockville to basically try to coordinate and do whatever we could. And that's that's how initially I got involved in the case. So very much on the first day, very early, probably by 10 a.m., I believe it was. And it just grew from there. And the, the task force that was created out of it before it was all said and done. We had just about a thousand police officers, both city, county, local, state, federal involved and very much involved in this investigation. And, and the one thing that I want to say right off is just because I happened to be the commander at the scene when they were caught and happened to be there, I had no bigger a role than any one of those 999 other police officers that were doing their job, whether it was standing out, being a target in front of a school, hoping that they would shoot at a a police officer instead of a child, or those men and women out there stopping every white van that moved, or the analysts or the investigators, we all played just as an important part, and, and I think we needed every one of those police officers till we track these killers down 
And we're talking uh, D.C. Metro, ATF, Virginia State Police, Maryland State Police, Montgomery County Police. Uh, Virginia uh, State Police, um, Fairfax, all the county police departments in in Virginia. Uh, I believe, and I, and I could be wrong on this. I used to know this number off the top of my head, but I believe there was little over 100 law enforcement agencies wow. involved in this investigation. So it's uh, and it's hard to imagine the undertaking of coordination and collaboration and communication that that took, and that's only going to happen with leadership, um, and a, a lot of strength and and, and uh, to getting people to realize that um, there's no lone wolves here. Talk, talk about that because that it truly is impressive. Um, uh, the collaboration and communication, which is a, a counter to what popular mythology likes to tell us about um, the egos of law enforcement agencies. Right. They always talk about, uh, like in Die Hard, the FBI mm -hmm. coming in and <clears throat> right. uh, a bunch of bloodthirsty, uh, you know, credit grabbers. Talk about that effort. Right. Well, you know, being in law enforcement, um, most of us are Class A personalities. Um, you almost have to be. And so that lends to egos. It, it's sort of a natural thing that occurs in law enforcement. And, and I mean, and it occurs even interagency, inter as I just told you. Um, you know, Frederick Barrick, Bel Air Barrick, Northeast Barrick, we all think we're the greatest Barrick in, in the uh, state. And, you know, there's 20 other Barracks that actually think exactly the same way. But we all work together. But get us on a softball field <laughs> against each other. Look out! It's on. But, but it's at the okay end of the day, <laughs> you realize, you know, hey, these are your brothers and your sisters. We're all we're all out here doing the same thing, and uh, you know, it's the old adage: we could be out there uh, beating the tar out of each other on the softball field, but let a let a van full of bad guys show up and see what happens. So those egos are are huge, and you know, the the, the feds certainly have their egos. But nine eleven taught us all mm -hmm. that. There are times to check your egos at the door. And when the sniper case happened, and I believe it, a lot of it had to do with the nightmare that we had gone through on 9-11. On For the most part, those egos were checked, and we, we were given assignments. Uh, I mean, the Maryland State Police certainly did not march into Montgomery County and say, we're the state police, we're taking over this case. The case remained the the main jurisdiction and the main responsibility for this case remained in Montgomery County. The feds... FBI, they certainly could have done that, but they didn't. It was, hey, we're the FBI. We got a lot of resources. What can we do to help? Uh, Maryland State Police, hey, we we can get you a ton of troopers. We got investigators. Tell us, Montgomery County, what you need us to do. And very, very quickly, that, that coordination, you're right. It was massive. And when you think back, it was really, truly amazing and impressive how all those agencies came together under extreme pressure with our citizens being killed randomly. Egos were checked at the uh, Joint Operations Center door, and we all worked together. And it, it, it were, truly was unprecedented. I don't know that it's happened since. Um, I'm hoping to God that it never happens, that there's never a need. But these are lessons that I hope are never, ever forgotten. You know, that's it, it says a lot about the men and women that participated at all levels. And for a special agent in charge of the FBI to have to take orders from a lowly lieutenant from Maryland mm -hmm. State Police the night we caught him says a lot about the uh, professionalism and the credibility. And, you know, for, for me to feel like I could do that because I, I had the eyes and the boots on the ground and I knew what we, was needed was awesome, and um, the, the the team that ultimately took the snipers down was a combined group. They called them tango teams, and it was combined uh, Maryland State Police State Team, which is our version of the SWAT team, Montgomery County SWAT team, FBI Special Special Tactical Assault Team. For them to all come together, it went seamlessly. They were given a, a, a call to justice without firing a shot. No one got hurt. It was a successful operation at the end with the unfortunate thing is is too many lives were lost too many other people were wounded before 
we figured it out. But if if you look at the logistics from where we started, this thing lasted 23 days. And I'm telling you right now, for 21 and a half of those days, we had no idea who the shooters were. You know, it seems like it was so much longer than that. When you just said 23 days, it seemed like it was months. I can't imagine how long it seemed for you. Well, you know, it's 17 years ago now, it, it, it's a blur because I can remember coming home after working 17, 18 hours making that, that ride up 270 and, mm-hmm. and not seeing any traffic other than police cars because everybody was in fear, was, was gut-wrenching. I, I would go home, I'd fall into bed. An hour and a half later, my, my wife would wake me up and say, hey, you got to get, get moving. You got to get back to the uh, Joint Operations Center. You know, she hated to wake me up, mm-hmm. but she knew that I needed to be there. And you just dragged through it, running on cop food, coffee and donuts and adrenaline and determination. But all thousand of us were doing exactly the same thing right. that I was doing. And I, you know, do police agencies make mistakes? Human beings sure do. Do, do we have a few bad eggs in the basket? Unfortunately, we do. They're very few. But I will tell you, 99.9% of the police officers on the street care about the people they serve or they wouldn't do it, especially taking all the guff that they've got to take and all the bad press that, that they take. You have to love it. You have to love what you do. You have to be dedicated to what you do or you wouldn't do it because none of us will ever get rich by being in law enforcement. Unless you're uh, one of the uh, bad ones on TV. I tell you, one of the most dangerous dangerous bigotries that we face is the bigotry against law enforcement. It's uh, where folks feel like it's okay to deprive an officer involved in an incident of his due process rights. It's, It's really... It's bone chilling what that could mean. Well, you know, and I I know this is a little bit off the subject, but but I will tell you, you know, there's there's nothing more gut wrenching than than to come off the road and and you've got three minutes to wolf down a burger and some fries. You've already worked 12 hours and you're hoping that the radio stays silent while you get a chance to wolf down those that burger and fries and to have a, a, a mom with her kids point at you and say, Johnny, if you don't eat your chicken nuggets, I'm going to turn you over to that man right there, and he is going to lock you away. There is nothing more gut-wrenching to a law enforcement officer to see that happen. And there is nothing that rejuvenates you like rolling down the street and and seeing a, a little kid on a big wheel stop and wave. So... You know, we're, we're, we're emotional people. We've got families. We've got kids. Those little things mean a lot. And it's, it's hard, and, and I hate to do this, but it's very hard to explain it unless you've walked the walk. But that's no excuse either to, to close shop as a law enforcement officer because, you know what, we are part of the community. You need to talk to your neighbors. You need to go to ball games. You need to do the things that every other normal family does as much as you can and get away from the job as much as you can during your downtime. We're now seeing a a tremendous amount of law enforcement suicides. And and I'm telling you right now from being on the inside, it's these kind of things and this negative publicity that eats at you. And then you combine that with, hey, maybe things aren't going so well at home or the car just broke down and it, and it needs a new transmission and it's going to cost $1,500 and you've got $23 in your checking account, the normal things in life, and you add all that all together. And uh, my brothers and sisters out there right now are suffering. And they'll smile, they'll tell you they're not, but they are. Amen. Uh-huh. Amen. Man, well, that's important <coughs> to, to, to raise the awareness of that, that these are human beings, not only just human yeah. beings, they're... They get up every day, and they keep us safe. End of story. Um, right. But anyway, let's 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 just continue to, uh, as a law enforcement uh, officer, uh, tell us about uh, that evening uh, 
you're first alerted to where uh, uh, that uh, in this rest area uh, might be uh, the folks of interest. To, uh, take us through that, to what you were sure. thinking driving out there, to how it felt, uh, actually what went down, and then how it felt <clears throat> once it happened. Well, to, to really get into the, to the meat of it and, and how we figured out who these guys were, I've got that all detailed in the book, which, which is really one of the, the, the first true story from the inside as to how the investigation was worked. But as I told you, for this thing lasted 23 days, and, and 21 of those days, we were struggling. Who, who is this? Who's, who's killing our citizens? And when the case broke, it broke very, very quickly, and, and just a tremendous amount of great boots-on-the-ground police work from across this country finally figured it out. We knew who we were looking for, and that particular night, I had been there almost, well, a little over 24 hours, and I was pretty much ordered to, to go home but take some flyers north with me to Frederick County. I felt all along during this investigation that we were going to find the bad guys up in my home county. I could just feel it in my bones. Hmm. I mean, all I had to do was look at a, a map of where the shootings occurred, and if I was a bad guy, which is the way I was trained to think, I would have been staying north and doing my killing to the south. I, I, I wouldn't have been sleeping where I was killing, and I, and I felt all along that, that they were up there. And I was heading home, and, and I had made arrangements with the Frederick Barrick to hand off a bunch of flyers that we had finally been able to put together. Um, the press had just been notified. In fact, um, it took exactly five minutes from the time local uh, Little Frederick uh, radio station, WFMD, uh, played the lookout. Five minutes later, a citizen, wow. hearing that broadcast, spotted them in the rest area. Wow. Uh, so I happened to be just trying to, to, to get up the road, drop the flyers off, and, and try to get a couple of hours sleep when I had switched over to the Frederick radio channel and told them that I was in Frederick County. Sergeant Hundermark calls me and tells me, hey, they've been spotted in the rest area. And I, I made the comment because I was still 45 miles away at that point. I, I said, uh, send who you've got. And he said, well, counting you, sir, that would be three. So away we went. And uh, apparently I went a little bit above this posted speed limit because I made those 45 miles in, they told me, seven minutes. Yeah. Um, wow. <laughs> I, I had that old, and, and this Ironic as it is, I was driving a blue Caprice, the same thing the snipers were, were using. But my old blue Caprice we lit up with over 100,000, close to 200,000 miles on it, made that 45 miles in, in, in seven minutes. And we were fortunate enough, the car was in the rest area. We could not tell if there was anybody in the car. Fate, the good Lord, whatever you believe in, was on our side that night. We didn't have a lot of civilians, citizens in the rest area. We had some, some sleeping truckers. Um, we, we had the state worker that had spotted the car. We had Mr. Donovan, who happened to be driving a white van, uh, an electrician from Pennsylvania who had stopped there just to get a few winks of sleep because he was so tired he was afraid he'd wreck going home. He had the cell phone. Those were our eyes. And um, three of us surrounded it until we could uh, call in the uh, cavalry. And as luck would have it, um, we were able to surround them. We were able to keep everything quiet. Um, I've been asked many times, and I think at every book event, well, you know, why didn't you just storm in there and, and take them out? That's what we see on TV. And a couple of reasons. Number one, they had that sniper rifle. They obviously had the ability to use it. They had already killed 10 and wounded four by that time, and that was just in Maryland. As it turned out, there was many, many more throughout the country. Uh, if I was them, and again, that's the way I was trained to think, I would have had one sleeping in the car, the other one on Overwatch in the woods with that rifle because this was on top of South Mountain, which if you've ever been out that way, it's, it's an absolutely drop-dead gorgeous rest area. It's forest. It was dark. Very few streetlights then. Since then, 
that place has been redesigned, and I'm told a lot of it had to do because of that case. But um, my fear was the three of us go swooping in there and surround that car. Number one, we don't know if they're in the car. If they're not, that sniper rifle would have went right straight through our vests, and I would have lost two of us before we could even have gotten out of the car, and all we had to fight back with were handguns and a shotgun between us. I did not like the odds, and I felt that, hey, let's, let's surround them. Let's call the cavalry. If that car leaves or attempts to leave, we'll do what we got to do. But until that time, we needed to get the odds in our favor, and things worked out. We were able to get uh, secured airspace above us so that news helicopters or anybody else couldn't blunder in and, and wake them up. Um, we were able to utilize a couple of the sleeping truck drivers that had decided to leave. We were able to get their their big rigs pulled across the exits to really ensure that that car didn't leave there. And we really honestly did not know for sure that they were in that car until um, Major Ballard and his tango teams uh, executed the take-in. Um, they could have been in the woods. One of my fear, fears were that they had already carjacked another vehicle and, and maybe there's a family of hostages going up the road someplace there was 3,000 uh, things that could have happened none of them good and all of those were going through my mind um, but as it worked out and I don't want to use the term standoff because it really wasn't a standoff it was more of a very quiet surrounding and siege until we were prepared to make our move at uh, you know 4.15 in the morning, and I guess the, the call came out about 11.15, 11.30 that night when when I got word that they were in the, the rest area. So we were, it took us uh, about five hours before we got them into custody, but it was done without ever having to fire a shot. And if you would have asked me that night, was that possible? I would have told you no. The, the odds of a firefight with these guys were... <laughs> I think 95% or better because they knew they had killed. They, they knew that law enforcement was on them, and I just could not imagine these guys wanting to be taken alive because right. what better way to die a martyr for your cause at the hand of police? And you know what? Those guys didn't deserve that, and we were able to administer justice without ever having to fire a shot, and the system worked. Amen. <clears throat> Amen. And... Um... More importantly, all of my troopers and all the sheriff's deputies and everybody went home at the end of that to their families in one piece. As far as I was concerned, mission accomplished. That's right. And um, really just an amazing story uh, of uh, bravery and uh, ingenuity and uh, certainly um, resolve and um, uh, justified caution and level-headedness so we can't uh, we can't thank you enough and folks we have on the phone with us um uh david reichenbaugh um uh, a retired state trooper or just like with the marines you're never really retired right they, <laughs> <laughs> that's that's right once you're a trooper you're you're always a trooper and uh i'm just old now <laughs> We were talking about that earlier, feeling old today. <laughs> so you're in good company, or we're in good company, I should say. And folks, uh, pick up the book, In Pursuit, The Hunt for the Beltway Snipers, on Amazon, Capriccio's right in uh, Hartford County here in Bel Air. Uh, just Google it. Uh, uh, it um, there's also, um, David, is your... Um, your email is David Reichenbaugh, D-A-V-I-D-R-E-I-C-H-E-N-B-A-U-G-H at yahoo.com. Um, we look forward to uh, uh, seeing you up here on Saturday, October 26th at 11 a.m. at the Bel Air Library at Meet the Author event. We look forward to uh, future work uh, by you. Um, and uh, we can't wait to see you. Um, well, I'm I'm really looking forward to coming up there, and and I am told. I knew you were you know, going to bring this up. Go ahead. Yes, you know my <laughs> my my wife was. 
we were in, we've been at Capriccio's and, and we've been at, uh, I believe it was the Perryville Library. And everybody keeps telling me that there is some place up there to get pizza and crab cakes that if you go to Bel Air, you have to go to this place. So my wife has already informed me, and it turns out my sister-in-law, too, is coming. <laughs> Not to hear me babble, because they've already heard me babble enough. But apparently I have to take them to find this place. They want the crab cakes. So I think the, it's probably the, the whole clan sale, will be in right? tow with me on the 26th. And uh, I'm really looking forward to it. I'll have plenty of books, and I'll be happy to sign them and, and answer any questions. Leslie, you, you, if, if this goes the way all of them is and my wife gets on me about this, you'll probably have to kick me out and lock the door. Oh, my goodness. I'll... We're open till 5 on Saturday. So I don't know that you <laughs> want to stay there till 5, but we would be happy to accommodate you. Hey, I, I will will answer questions and, and talk to people until my wife uh, grabs me by you, the ear. Gives you the vaudeville hook. Right. Yes. Or you hear and, her and stomach growling. Out of there. <laughs> okay. Folks, you're listening to WM, WAMD 970. We've just had uh, David Reichenbaugh on with a fascinating account of his book uh, in pursuit the hunt for Bel beltway snipers david we cannot thank you enough for your service and the service of producing this book and your time today uh, it, it absolutely has been my pleasure and and quite honestly it has always been my honor to serve as a, a maryland state trooper and and come after the just the brilliant troopers that have went before me and uh certainly will come after me and hopefully I was able to add something positive to the Maryland State Police legacy in some small way. And, hey, that's all I could ever ask for. But it's always been my honor to serve. Well, God God bless you. God bless them all. Um, and thanks for coming on. Thank you. We'll see you, you in a bet. couple weeks. Wow, that was awesome. It really was. That was. It really was. It's um, like a movie, but we all lived through it. So Yeah, I remember. Oh, um, my gosh. I yes. a client in... Uh, Bethesda, another client, Roslyn, Virginia, one um, um, in in uh, in Rockville at the time. Mm -hmm. So um, it's and there are so many white vans out there. Oh my gosh! I, we all found out that you don't that realize time. till you're looking for. And I felt bad for everyone who was driving a white van. <laughs> yeah, and I wonder because sometimes there's like uh, reports of. Um, Someone who might be a molester of some sort in a neighborhood, uh, or someone who's paying too much attention to little kids, and it always seems to be someone in a white van. So I, know. I would never buy a white van. Is that what people think they saw, or is it because they're so omnipresent they look around and that's the most noticeable thing? But anyway, um, well, in addition to the Meet the Author on the 26th, what else we have coming up at the library? Well, I'm only going to mention one thing today. And it's a big thing, something that Hartford County has been waiting for since March. The Abingdon Library Grand Reopening is happening Tuesday, October 15th at 10 a.m. It's going right. to be a wonderful celebration. Um, we need everybody's help to join us there a little before 10, and we're going to count down the final minutes before we open the doors. We are going to have the Emerton Elementary School's 5th grade chorus, Tails Jr., scavenger hunts throughout the day um the cheerleading squad from patterson mill high school is going to be there to help us do the countdown it's going to be a great day um and just to top it off the library looks incredible it's beautiful so i can't oh, you've been wait in there. i have we've been there a lot um you know got to put all those books back in place and we have a big team working on it to make sure everything is perfect for Tuesday, October 15th at 10 a.m. So try and join us if you can. Which means I'm going to have a much easier time parking at the Bel Air Library. Yes, yes, <laughs> yes. We have heard that. <laughs> it, it shows you uh, the loyalty. Oh, and my the, gosh. And mm -hmm. how popular the, our libraries are because mm -hmm. uh, the folks who, uh, patrons of Abingdon Branch, um, didn't just stop going to the library. No. They went to other libraries, and although we always whine about the parking, it's beautiful to see because <laughs> you know that kids that were used to 
going there every day and, and other fellow citizens of ours uh, didn't miss a beat. No, and it's Bob's library, so you've been going to Bob's library. That's right. <laughs> That's right. But it's been interesting, you know. I think our customers do go to their favorite branch, um, and we've heard, you know, just a lot from um, customers who normally go to Abingdon who have gone to Bel Air since March, and they love the children's area. They've loved, Like, it opened new avenues for them. So I think there's going to be a lot of crossover between the two because each branch has um, something unique. So I love it. That's, that's been a just an unintended outcome of all this is to share the, the brand of Hartford County Public Library. Amen. All right, kittens. I think that's all the time we have for today. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll talk with you next week. Mm -hmm.